was this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and uh, we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweeten from the Sweet and Salty podcast. How's week been, mate? Yeah, terrific week, Rob. There's so much going on in the world of sport, and I can't wait to break it all down with you and Paul over the next hour. Yep. Also joining us, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talk all things in sport, in Salford and beyond. Yeah, certainly am. It's been a, a good weekend, hasn't it? An action-packed weekend. And uh, looking forward to breaking it down with you guys. Yeah. So what we'll do, we'll start with the Rugby League and Salford Devils, Paul. They travelled to Casford Tigers on Friday night and won their first Super League game of 2022. They beat Casford 26 points to 16. Talk us through it. Yeah, it was a great night. It really was a you know an action-packed game, a full house at Castleford, and it really did feel like a party atmosphere, didn't it? Especially with the Tigers, you know, ten and a half thousand crammed in there. And I think from a Salford perspective, we went and spoiled the party really, and uh, and not many people gave Salford a chance in that game. I think Bucky's had us at a twelve-point sort of um, give us a twelve-point cushion to go into the match and to win the game by. Uh, by ten points was it was a was a great uh, a great result. I mean, we dropped the ball from the kickoff, which wasn't a great start. Brody Croft knocking on, and I thought we put a lot of pressure on ourselves early doors with mistakes. We took the lead with uh, Max need penalty, but then George Griffin went over for Cass and, and put them in front. But we fought back with uh, you know a, a great try from Ken Seal after uh, after Joe uh, after Joe Burgess's break. Lovely bit of vision from Mark Snead for, with that kick. Who I thought it was outstanding all night. Mark Snead and they moved the ball from left to right. Ken Seal as he does. Finishing superbly, and uh, you know what? Casper went back in front with a try from former Salford player Darrell Alford. But Salford, the pendulum for me swung in that second half with two tries uh, going into it towards half time. King Vuniaya powered over, and um, we, we got in front at half time with Dion Cross also with that uh, that tr- tremendous try for us. So, so it was an excellent first half for us, and um, you know, played some, some really exciting stuff. Was well, a great result for Salford Red Devils. You mentioned Mark Sneed and his 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 presence and his influence on the team fantastic performance for me moments in the game that he took a moment out just to figure out what was going on and, and delivered some fantastic uh sort of moment in the game and, and i think obviously players like him can make a massive difference moving forward oh yeah he did yeah he's kicking it was absolutely superb and not only that i think he's the way he bossed the game you know his calmness the way he took the two points he's not afraid to you know you give him a kick at goal and He's going to nail it. I mean, I know Castle was not the, the the longest pitch in the world, but one of them penalty goals, probably a good forty yards, thirty odd yards out um, in that second half. And I mean, you're going up in two points and you're chipping away like that. The, the opposition heads heads are going down because you you're bossing the game. And I thought he did boss that game. He's head and shoulders the best player on the pitch for me, Mark Sneed. And um, and what a signing he could be. You know, it's early days for us, but it was a. A good performance, you know, against the Castleford side with some some real big star names in that, and, and we kept them quiet. I thought Exalford man, Nia Levels is a real live wire, but we, we kept him quiet all night really. And uh, Paul McShane, who you know gets a lot of good press, the former Man of Steel. I thought we did a job on him. I thought Andy Eccles was terrific at hooker. Dion Cross for me as well was absolutely sensational. He looks like he's been playing Super League for you know for ten years or so. He 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 settled in really well. He scored a cracking try there, and you could go through the whole side really and and, and wax lyrical about them all. I thought Ryan Briley was everything that Castleford threw at him. He, he took the high balls and what have you. So I think it was a real real team performance from Salford, and one that's going to make people look at that and think perhaps they're not going to be. 
the rubbing rags that a lot of the pundits are, are saying we're going to be. So it was it was a heartwarming victory, and you know Paul Rowley said a lot of good things about the supporters as well, and it, it did seem like a real sort of team display. You know, the supporters did a great job, the players did a great job, coaching staff. It was a, it was a real good night. Yeah. Paul Rowley's first win as a Super League coach, very experienced coach. Let's get let's not be, you know, hiding the fact that he has been around rugby league a lot. First time he's been in Super League though, and to and to play like that and get a performance and get a win uh, will boost confidence for him and his players moving forward. Certainly will. I thought he, um, I thought he outcoached Lee Radford really. I think he got his game plan absolutely spot on. He really did, and um, the way the players... I mean, it was a tough start to the game. As I said before, we put an awful lot of pressure on ourselves early doors, and it looked like Castleford were going to uh, run away with the game, You know, especially knocking on from the kickoff. But I thought the players dug in. I thought at times this, the defence was absolutely sensational and really brave. And, and on the other side of the coin... We chanced our round when we needed to. We did. We didn't just play up the jumper stuff, and I, I don't think you can do that in Super League. You know, you've got to, you've got to be brave. You've got to chance your arm. You've got to move the ball, and, and they did. And when they moved the ball at times, particularly in that last stages of that first half, I felt Castleford couldn't live with us. I thought the speed that we played the game at, they they didn't know where we was coming from. Those two back to back tries from one of Yaya and Dion Cross for me were the, probably the game breaker really that, that, that sealed it for us. But no, an excellent start to the season, and we've got to build on that now. It's no use going winning at Castleford and then losing at home to Toulouse so we need to make sure we're switched on for this week and give Toulouse a lot of respect and uh, and do the same thing again and get two more points Yeah, that's a big test obviously with Salford they've, they've expelled a lot of energy beating Castleford played well, let's be fair and really, let's be honest looked like there was plenty more in the tank but you never know uh, in rugby league sometimes you, you put in a great performance and then you feel the effects the week after hopefully this team won't be doing that we'll be going to play to lose on Sunday at the AGA Bell Stadium full of confidence we'll be fit and we're ready to win yeah we got a nine day turnaround you know you played last Friday it's, you know you're not playing until the following Sunday you know Toulouse played the Saturday they've had a sort of a day less than us they've got to travel as well so uh, so yeah I'd be confident that we'll be we'll be raring to go in this game with a home side as well you'd like to think that we're going to really market this game this week now and you know get a bit of decent weather at the weekend and, and get a good crowd down for that you know uh, to lose his uh, first sort of, sort of play, game against Salford in, in Super I mean to lose a side we've not met very often I think we've only played him twice in, in their existence so uh, so yeah I'm really excited for the game on Sunday I think it'll be a terrific um, game that. and if we can get another victory you know two wins from two will be a great start to the season and as I said before rugby league is all about momentum if we can start building momentum I know we've got two away games after the Toulouse game you know Hull and, and Huddersfield which is going to be uh, you know two smashing matches but, uh, but yeah it's all about Toulouse now we've got to focus on that I think we say it all the time don't we one game at a time and I think that's how Paul Rowley's going to do it it might feel like a bit of an out-of-body experience for this, Paul, but I think one of them was a Challenge Cup uh, game at the Willows, was it? It was, 2003, yes, uh, on that terrific run that we had, 26-10, I think it was. I remember uh, Toulouse had a player sent off. Yeah. Um, it was uh, it was a very fiery contest, that, and I think the, the, the other game was in the uh, in the qualifiers in 2018 uh-huh. when uh, we had Jackson Hastings playing in that game, didn't we? And uh, I think he got a penalty try, actually. He was fouled in the act of scoring, if I remember rightly. And that was an exciting game as well. So, you know what, Toulouse are going to bring a caught a bit of their game against Huddersfield at the weekend. And in that first half, they, they played really, really well. Huddersfield ran away with it in the second half, but I think Toulouse are going to get better and improve, aren't they? So it's a game where you... You can't take anybody for granted, Robin, in Super League. So we need to be switched on. We don't want to get burnt in that game. And what about the, the following to Castleford? A thousand fans uh, getting over to, to Yorkshire to follow the boys. Hopefully, uh, against to lose at the AGA Bell, uh, there'll be a big crowd because obviously the more Salford fans can get to the AGA Bell and get behind the club, uh, the better it is for everyone. 
Yeah, Paul Rolly was delighted about that. He said in the press conference that he was really happy with the supporters. And, um, you know, he had a bit of a glint in his eye, Paul Rowley. I think he wants to prove people wrong, doesn't he? I mean, I don't know. So the players and the coaches must see what pundits say and things like that. And, you know, obviously the Super League advert, we didn't really appear in it, did we? So, I don't know, sometimes we're perhaps the forgotten side. But I think that's the sort of tag that Paul Rowley wants. I think... They want to um, sort of have an us and them sort of thing and the siege mentality. And I think that's good. I think Paul Rowley will feed off that. And I think the players will do as well. I think they've got a point to prove. And uh, you can be dangerous when you're like that. You know, go back to 2019 when we got to the grand final. No one gave us a prayer in that that that, uh, that season. And that was all about building momentum and at the right time. And I remember Paul Rowley coming in to, to help Ian Watson, who was the coach at the time that year. And when Paul came in and sort of rubbed his knowledge off, we we, we went really well there. So Kurt Haggerty and Danny Orr as well are part of that, that coach team at Salford and I think they're doing you know up to now they're doing a tremendous job so long may that continue yeah off the field uh, announcement this week that Corey Patterson one of Salford's ex-players has come back to the club as a team manager and welfare player welfare officer uh, he played for us in 2015 was a, was a good player for us uh, and it was great to have him back in the fold yeah he wasn't a long spell for him I think I remember him kicking a goal for to the corner flag, I think, in training. I remember seeing that video of him on um, on social media and what have you. But no, a, a good character. I think he's still a local guy. Um, I think he did have a coffee shop, I think, something like that. Yeah. I, heard, I heard somebody say. So, yeah, yeah, very good character. And, uh, you know, taking over the job from, from Marlon Billy, who I believe has gone uh, to Huddersfield. So, so yeah, I wish him all the best. And um, I'm not quite sure what a player and, and welfare guy does. I presume you're working with the players, aren't you, day in, day out, and helping them out. So, it's it's, it's, it's a good role to have. And, uh, and yeah, Corey will be, uh, be a, good, a good guy to have around the place. Yeah, let's talk about our other uh, local side, Swinton Lions. They were in Challenge Cup action uh, this week, uh, but we defeated against the Crusaders 20 points to 14. Um, obviously out of the Challenge Cup now, a bit of a disappointment for Swinton. Obviously, they were probably looking at uh, getting through this round, so get bigger ties and, and more revenue generated for next uh, next game. Yeah, definitely. I think that was a, a shock result, really. You know, look at the, I do a bit of betting every now and again, and um, looking at that today, I think Swinton had a good start in, in that yeah, 20 point start or something um, did uh, did Wales. So uh, Swinton were expected to, to win that game, especially at home as well. And, and they were winning it as well. It was a couple of late tries from. Um, from from the Crusaders to, to get the result twenty points to fourteen so uh, so yeah that'll be disappointing that for Alan Coleman and his players to be to be knocked out of the Challenge Cup in the sort of the early rounds really but uh, they've got to, they've got to concentrate now on their league which starts it won't be long till that that starts and obviously they're one of the favourites to gain promotion but to go out of the cup at home is is a disappointing result yeah two weeks till the, the their their league campaign starts Paul opportunity for uh, the coaching staff and the players to get together and, and get prepared for that contest because obviously it's going to be tough the the named one of the favourites to, to go back up so all teams will be gunning for them won't they? Well certainly but I think it's going to be a really really difficult league I mean you look at the Crusaders I think they've improved over the last few years I think they could be one of the dark horses for that league you've got Hunslet in there who was always a very very difficult side to beat Doncaster as well and Keith Cougars who are one of the favourites so Rochdale Hornets Oldham are in there as well that's going to be a very very competitive league I know Swinton's odds were slashed when they, uh, when they beat West Wales in the Cup but uh, I wouldn't read much into that to be honest I think it's going to be a very very tight league and they're not going to have things all the wrong way they have to work for that and it's going to be exciting you know when that kicks off it's going to be a really really exciting league very very competitively as is the Championship and I've seen some of the scores today I know the weather's um, obviously Sunday the weather's uh, been a bit a bit dicky over the weekend there's been some strange scores but that championship looks a very very competitive league as well 
Yeah. Final rugby league question, uh, Paul. Rugby league, rugby league back on the terrestrial tele challenge, the uh, channel four, Warrington and Leeds. It was a good game. Uh, over, I think it was 750,000 people uh, watched it, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's great to see it back on the telly. I mean, all fossils like us will remember when it was on ITV. In sort of the late 80s, early 90s, they used to have a game on a Saturday afternoon. I think it was Rob McCaffrey who used to present it, and Clive Tilzer was a commentator. So uh, that was good coverage back in the day. It's an awful long time ago now. But great to see it back on the terrestrial telly. I mean, Channel 4, they seem to do a good job. I haven't watched all of it yet. I watched a bit of the build-up and a bit of the first half, and it was a, it was a cracking match as well. You know, Leeds against Warrington. So uh, I think it's... Uh, is it Wigan who are on this weekend coming up? There's another game Saturday anyway, so that, that'll be another cracking game. I can't remember who it was now. Wigan and... Oh, it escapes me. We're in Hull, I think it is. So um, in Hull, so that'll be another good match that's on. So, so yeah, the more rugby league we get on the telly, the, the better. But it's great to have it on terrestrial television, so you know the whole of the country can watch it. Yeah. So that's all your rugby league chat. So from this old fossil to radio's uh, young gun, it's Jane Sweeten talking boxing with Paul Whiteside. Yeah, I'm part of the new breed coming through, Rob. But we're talking about the old breed this weekend because we've got one of the biggest fights in British boxing history. We've finally got it. The grudge match of all grudge matches is going to get settled. Amir Khan versus Kelbrook. These two men despise each other. Khan has the speed. Brook has the timing. It's taken years to build up to this moment. Paul, right off the bat, who are you favouring going into this? Um, I'm going for Amir Khan. It's been a difficult decision to make. Um, I, I just fancy Amir Khan. I, I've been reading about him and listening to people who've been you know, sparring and, and training with him. And I know he's got the hand speed. He's very, very quick. And I just think he might be a bit too quick for Kelbrook. I'm not writing Kelbrook off, though. I think it'll be a great fight. But I just edge towards Khan. I think it's going to be very, very close. But I think if I had to, to put my mortgage on it, I'd just go with uh, go with, go with Amir Khan, I think. But it should be a great fight. You know, as you say, it's a real grudge match between the two of them. They, they, they don't like each other. And uh, I believe the, the gloves are off. It's supposed to be uh, quite a tasty programme. And they both sit across the table with Johnny Nelson. So I'm going to be watching that as soon as I can. But really looking forward to watching it. Um, I'm a bit disappointed it's on Sky Box Office. You know, um, having to pay you know, pay-per-view, I think it should be sort of free to air, this one, really. It's not for a, for a world title, but it's one of those fights that captures the imagination, I suppose. And uh, the Manchester Arena sold out very, very quickly for it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, going to be an exciting night. It's interesting you give that prediction, Paul, because many moons ago, when they're in the prime of their careers and Kelbrook held that world title that he won off Sean Porter in America, most thought that his timing would have been a bit too much for Khan. But it feels in the build-up to this one, it's gone from Brook being a heavy favourite to going to a complete 50-50 to now most people favouring Amir Khan. Do you feel as if Brook is, I mean, potentially surprisingly, because Khan, it feels like he's been around longer, but do you feel like Brook's actually further down the hill than Khan is? Um, that's another good question. I mean, I've heard a few people say, oh, Brook's had some... Some really tough fights, and you know it's took a lot out of him. But yeah, you look at Amir Khan; he's had some really tough fights as well, and he's had some big knockouts as well. You know, he's he's had his head rattled a few times, for want of a better word. So, I think they, they both have. They've both been in some absolute wars, haven't they? And it's taken a lot out of their bodies. You know, they're both in the mid thirties now, um, and and I've gone bit, bit full circle really. I fancied Kel Brook early doors, and you know, speaking to a few friends of mine and just sort of analysing it, and yeah, I've sort of gone for Amir Khan. I wouldn't say I was sort of massively going for Amir Khan. It's still very 50-50. I'm probably, what, 52-48 in favour of, um, of Amir Khan. It could go either way, though. It really could. 
it's one of those fights. I mean, it could go in the first round, this one. Nobody really knows. It could go 12 rounds. It's it's It really is an unknown fight. I think it just depends what both fighters have got left, who handles the occasion, right? We, we spoke last week about the Liam Williams fight and how the occasion sort of got the better of him in the early stages of the fight. So is that going to happen this week? I'm, I'm not too sure it could do. You know, there's going to be an awful lot. When there's a lot of emotion in a fight like that, I think sometimes it's up to the... It's whoever, which fighter keeps that emotion in check and, and uses it as a good energy, really. So um, yeah, it could go either way, this one, mate. You're talking about the emotions building into this one, and it's so interesting because for years, Kel Brook was chasing Amir Khan, and Khan, you know, really didn't seem to want to know. It was a fight he wasn't interested in. He was pursuing Crawford and Canelo. And you can argue from one point that's great because he's chasing his legacy by fighting these big names. You can argue it from another perspective that he'd move hell and earth to avoid Kelbrook. But it seems now, obviously, with Kelbrook going slightly over the hill, that Amir Khan's right back in this one. Who do you think needs this victory more, Paul? God, that's a good question. Um, oh, I, I, I think if it, both fighters, I mean, whoever loses this fight, it's like the bragging rights, and you're never really going to live it down, are you? Because I can't see there being a rematch on this one. I think once this one's done and dusted, that's it. I mean... Does the loser of this fight, are they finished? I'd probably say, yeah. I don't see there being much left for, for whoever loses this one. Um, so it's so it's a massive fight in that respect. You've got two guys that are, like I said before, in the mid through. Is how long are they both going to go on for? What have they got left in, in boxing? Whoever wins it, what are they going to be aiming for? Are they going back towards world titles and things like that? I don't know if they've, they've both got it left in them. We'll see. I think we'll see on Saturday. We'll see what they've both got left. And I, I just hope it's it really is an explosive fight and we see the best of both fighters. Really, I wouldn't like to see something one-sided. or I'd really like to see a, a cracking fight. But it's it's so up in the air. You don't really know what's going, going to happen. So I think that's what makes it all the more intriguing. Yeah, I mean, I think we all find this one intriguing. And then an important element to note about this is that Amir Khan is possibly the most undervalued fighter I've seen in many a long day in terms of United Kingdom-based boxers. I mean, the amount of stuff he achieved, a unified world champion, an Olympic silver uh, silver medalist, he's achieved so much in this sport. And his legacy for me is almost assured. No matter what, he's got those in the bank, he's got those belts, he's got that Olympic silver medal, he's got it all. Whereas for Kel Brook, I look back on his career and think, yes, he had that amazing moment against Sean Porter, but he never capitalised on it. He never got the defining fight. It almost feels like his career has faded into the abyss and it's spiralled into almost nowhere. Do you think it's a bigger hit to Kell Brook due to the fact that he hasn't got the same legacy that Khan has? Yeah. Yeah, you've probably... You've refreshed me a bit there with what you said there and sort of reminded me of how the careers have gone. So I, I, I totally agree with you. I think there was a stage in, in Kell Brook's career where he was, you know... A, special, a very special fighter and you know he was unbeaten for a time and he looked he looked unbeatable he looked really good he was solid he was he was very powerful for the weight as well and then for me I saw him in a couple of fights and you know after, after the, the Porter one and he didn't look right to me he looked heavy at the weight he looked sluggish and I think a few people said that in the press and I don't know it, it didn't seem to go the way he wanted to go then and did he fall out of love with the sport I'm, I'm not too sure but he didn't kick on the way a lot of boxing sort of press and, and people thought he was going to do you know so uh, whereas Amir Khan as you say he's, he's done the business and I know 
Kel Brooks give him a bit of grief saying, oh, I didn't go down the amateur route and the Olympic route. I went straight to being a professional. But I don't think you can criticise Amir Khan for that. I think anybody who, who goes down that route and represents, you know, you know, Great Britain in the Olympics, I think needs applaud. And I think that's fantastic to do that. So, uh, so yeah, I think Kel Brook probably needs this slightly more than Amir Khan does. When I look at the fight, Paul, I see one possible outcome. I think it ends inside four rounds. I think it's going to go early, this one. I think we've got a match-up here between speed and timing. And in the pumps of their careers, I do feel like Kelbrook's timing would have been too much for Khan, and he would have popped him with that right hand, that chocolate brownie, as he calls it, and he would have taken Khan out. However, with Brooks' chin obviously decreasing, it gives Khan an opportunity to utilise his speed. I think somebody's going to go early, and I don't know who's going to go, but that's my prediction. I know you said you think Khan wins, but how do you think he gets the job done? I think it'll be early as well, mate, to be honest with you. I, I, can't, I can't see it going past five or six rounds. I think it's going to be explosive early doors. I think it's going to be a real shootout. I think both fighters are going to come out to put the other one away. There's going to be no sort of stalling in this one, if you like. It's going to be a gunslinging fight. Um, and if I had to bet now, I would say I mean, I can finishes Kelbrook early does. I think for me it's just going to be the speed I think the speed is going to be too much for Brook and I think he'll put him away early doors I hope I'm wrong in a way I hope it goes a bit longer than that and we see both fighters you know really go into the trenches but I can't see that happening you know both 35 years old I can't see this going 12 rounds I really can't so looking at that undercard, Paul, it's a decent one. We've got Team yep. GB cruiserweight Vidal Riley on there. We've got the professional debut of Olympic bronze medalist Fraser Clark. I think we're all looking forward to that. But probably the highlight of the card is Natasha Jonas versus Chris Namus. And Jonas, very unlucky not to win a world title against Terry Harper. She's got another opportunity on Saturday night. And I don't think anyone would begrudge Miss GB getting that world championship round the waist. Not at all, no. She she seems a lovely lady. I, I like listening to her when she does a punditry as well. And uh, you know, she's been in some terrific fights, hasn't she? So, so that's that's a real good fight to have on the undercard. And the undercard looks looks pretty good for that, as you say, uh, Fraser Clark's debut as well. But no, I, I'd like to see Natasha Jonas do well because uh, you know she's a real pleasant uh, lady in boxing and a very likable character as well. So yeah, I wish her all the best and hopefully she uh, she gets the result on the night. Yeah, and we had a terrific fight over the course of the weekend. Daniel Jacobs versus John Ryder, and it was an absolute barn burner. Jacobs controlling the early portion of the fight, causing Ryder problems with his slick boxing brain. But ultimately, the Brit managed to pile it on in the second half of the fight, and that's ultimately what got him the victory. And at points, it looked like he could have got Jacobs out of there. However... In terms of actually looking at the rounds, most people felt that Jacobs had done enough on the scorecards. How did you have it? I like John Ryder. I think he's probably one of the most underrated boxers in, in Britain. I really do. I thought when he fought Callum Smith, I, I thought he won the fight. Um, he was very, very unlucky in that fight. And to be honest, if he had won that fight, his career could have gone in a totally different direction. I think he's had to sort of rebuild, um, being very unlucky. But I thought he just edged that one for me. You know, he, he's, he's a real gritty fighter, very, very, very tough fighter. And uh, that was a big one for him. And, and I hope he gets some big fights now. I hope he gets another chance at, you know, a world title because he certainly deserves it. He's worked really hard for that. I know on that bill, uh, Felix Cash as well, 
was knocked down twice and he showed you know some some real grit and determination to to, to get back up off the canvas and, uh, and win that one in what was another real bell ringing fight so we had some cracking fights there but yeah John John Ryder I'd like to see him get another another big tilt at a world title because I think he's another one who's the wrong side of 30 now and uh, you know before the end of his career I think he deserves another shot how good a fighter is John Ryder because when we look back at his career I think he's got five losses on that resume but you know, there's a plethora of them that he could have won. I mean, Jack Arnfield, he probably won that fight. He probably beat Rocky Field. And, and as you say, he beat Callum Smith. And he didn't get the decision in any of those fights. And he's just come up against Daniel Jacobs, who, at least in his prime, was a pound-for-pound pound elite-level fighter. Can he go on to win a world title now, John Ryder? I think he can. Just like you said there, you reamed some of those fights. So I believe he did win those fights. I think he's one of those guys who's just been really, really lucky. And whether it's... Judges don't like his style or, or or whatever. I think he's a real tough battler, um, and and I was you know quite annoyed when I watched the Callum Smith fight because I'm a big Callum Smith fan, but I thought he did a great job that 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 fight and and outbox Smith. So um, so yeah, whether it is his style or not, I'm not too sure. But I'd love him to to get another chance. I think he's 33, 34 now. So how long is he going to go on for? Because he has been in some real wars as well, hasn't he? Some real tough fights. So I'd like to see him, you know, you know, get a chance now. And uh, you know, some 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 big names in that division. So and some big names domestically and at world level in that division. So uh, be interesting to see where his team go now and, and what he picks up from that. But that was a that was a big big win and, and probably one of the best wins of his career that the weekend just gone. Now, looking into another obscure story, Deontay Wilder, one of the greatest heavyweights on the planet, still carries that monstrous one-punch knockout power, but we're not entirely sure whether he's ever going to set fuck in the ring again. However, he's taken a South American psychedelic brew, and he says through that experience, he'll be able to determine whether he's ready to get back in the ring again. Do you put any value in that, Paul, or do you think it's a bit ridiculous? Yeah, sounds very strange to me, that one, to be honest with you. I think... I don't know. It just seems a real strange story. I'd like to see him get back in the ring. I think he's still got an awful lot to offer boxing. He's he's one of the, the, the big names in the in the sort of the heavyweight division, the division that the world likes to see. So uh, I still think there's some massive fights there for him. So uh, I suppose it's up to him at the end of the day. It's, he seems like he's in his head. You know, does he does he still want it? I'm not too sure, but I I still I still think he's got an awful lot to offer the sport. Definitely. Looking further down the line, one of your favourite fighters, Conor Ben, has been very vocal this week about continuing his father's legacy by taking on Chris Eubank Jr. For me, on paper, Ben seems a little bit too small, but perhaps down the line this could be a big fight. Yeah, it could be. You know, those sort of things happen sometimes, don't they? You know, um, looking at him at the moment, he's going to have to come up a few weight divisions, isn't he? And, uh, you know, as his body develops and that, and I mean, he's... I'm saying that he's he's in his mid twenties now, isn't he? But you know, sometimes you you get that as a bit late as you go through your twenties, you can put a bit more size on and, and worry that I think it'd be a great fight. It really would. Um yeah, I am a massive uh, Conor Ben fan, but that's that's another another big fight. But is he gonna be the timing gonna be right? You know, Chris Eubank Jr. is in his early thirties now. I mean, has he got left and is he gonna want to go down that road or is he going to want to go looking for the big fights because after that fight against Liam Williams it looks like he wants like Golovkin or somebody like that next so uh, I have to watch his space on that one we certainly will and talking legends like Chris Eubank Jr and Nigel Benn another of our all-time great fighters is speculating a potential return to the ring Ricky the Hitman Hatton is in negotiations with Marco Antonio Barrera for a comeback fight Granted, they're both a similar age, but I don't necessarily want to see the Hitman back in the ring again, Paul. I mean, it would be magical for the fans, but 
I mean, I, I feel like Hitman's uh, day's been and gone now. I think so, yeah. He made his comeback, what, almost 10 years ago in 2012, and he looked a shadow of the boxer he, that we can remember him as. You know, I remember watching his, his massive fights, and, and in that fight, it was one of those, it was just a one too far for him, wasn't it? And that was a sad night, that, you know, watching somebody like that sort of unravel and come apart. So, when was that, 2012? Yeah, almost 10 years later. I know they say it's going to be an exhibition fight, but to me, is there an, is there a, an exhibition fight? You get in the ring with somebody, it's all all or nothing. There's no such thing as tippy-tappy exhibition fight. So, so I don't know. I've no doubt that Ricky Atten could get himself in, in shape. There's no doubt about that. He probably could, but it's probably something now. He's, he's mid-40s now, in the early 40s, so I don't know whether it's the right thing to do that. Now, you hear a lot of it, though, don't you? A lot of boxers have been touted to making comebacks and things like that, but I think once you've hung your gloves up, I think it's probably time to just do something else. And he's doing great things with his gym so and his promotion, so why would he need to come back? Yeah, two more men who could potentially do to hang up the gloves. We've got Derek Chisora and Luis Ortiz in similar positions in their career right now, and probably at similar levels. Chisora coming off a loss to Joseph Parker. Luis Ortiz coming off a win against Charles Martin, but he went down twice in that fight. Eddie Hearn's now looking to match the two great heavyweights against each other. And is that a fight you want to see? And who would you give the edge to at this stage? Um, that's another close one. Yeah, it'd be a good fight. There's no doubt about that. Derek Chisora, you never quite know what you're going to get with him. You're always going to get fireworks, aren't you? And, um, and Ortiz, another very, very tough man. If, if I had to, again... You put me on the spot, you do sometimes. If I had to be a betting man, I'd probably go with a Chisora on that one. But no, that'd make a make a good fight. No doubt about that. And the last one for you, Paul. We've had a big fight announced. Errol Spence versus your Danish Ugas. Three belts in the welterweight division. Two questions here. How do you see this one going? Because Ugas, for me, criminally underrated. Coming off a win against Manny Pacquiao. In his performance against Sean Porter, again, we have these uh, conversations all the time. Very unlucky not to get the decision on the judges' scorecards. And for me, he beat Porter more conclusively than Spence, Crawford and Brock. So for me, a very underrated fighter and not somebody we can write off in this one. And secondly, where does this leave Terence Crawford? Because he's well and truly out in the cold here. Yeah, it does. I mean... Terence Crawford, you would like to say, would would still get some big fights. I think asking me who's going to win that one, I'd say it's a, another 50-50 one. I mean, you probably you your bookmakers will go with Spence Junior, but as you say, it's it's a tough one to call. So um, I don't know. You, you don't have to be on the spot with some signs. Uh, who am I going to go for on that one? I, I think Spence Junior just just. But Terence Crawford, as you say, left out in the cold. But I'm sure there'll, there'll be something around the corner for him definitely in in 2022. Cheers, Paul. And now we're going to move on to the UFC and Rob's going to be asking me a few questions. Yeah, let's talk UFC now, James. The UFC 271 main event took place over the weekend and my favourite fighter, Bobby Knuckles, was robbed. I say robbed from becoming (laughs) world champion once again. Talk us through it, James. I'm absolutely gutted for Robert Whittaker here, Mm. uh, Rob. (sighs) Extremely disappointing. Look, a couple of years ago in Australia, the pressure got to him the first time he fought Israel Asanya, and he admitted that himself. He was burnt out. He was done with the sport. He fought recklessly. He fought on emotion, and he was wiped out inside two rounds. He's worked tirelessly to build himself back up to the point of being able to fight for a world title belt again. He's beat Darren Till. He's beat Jerry Cannonier. He's beat Kelvin Gastelum. He deserved another shot. He went in against Israel Asanya with all the demons on his chest, and he fought to hell and back. He lost the opening round. 
it felt like the demons of the first fight were still in there with him as Israel Adesanya pieced him up a little bit and put him down with a good straight right hand. However, after that, I thought it was all Robert Whittaker. I thought he cruised round two, round three, round four, round five. He had a couple of hairy moments. Israel landed a good leg kick here and there. He landed some good body shots. But in general, I thought it was all Whittaker. And I thought, unfortunately, as much as I like Michael Bisping, Daniel Cormier, I thought their commentary skewed public perception a little bit. I mean, perception is a reality to a lot of people, isn't it? And the fact that they were saying that he was doing so little maybe paid dividends to how the public saw it. But for me, Rob Whitaker was boxing really well. He was landing more shots. He was absolutely dominating in the grappling perspective, took him down four times in total. So at the end of the fight, when his arm wasn't raised, it was deeply disappointing. How big a problem was the commentary, James? It's a massive problem because you're watching this and you can see Whitaker cruising through these rounds, doing really well. And Michael Bisping, who, again, I'm a massive fan of, was making out as if it was a one, a one-sided fight in the other direction. And as you saw by the end of the fight with the uh, the reaction from the crowd, when Israel Adesanya had his hand raised, it was booed. And then Rob Whitaker was cheered. The crowd clearly saw it one way, and as did everybody on social media. But maybe the more casual fan can get drawn in when there's bad commentary. So it causes a massive problem. How does Bobby build, build back now, James? It's difficult, Rob. It, it really will be difficult because over the past two years, he's worked and worked and worked to get back into this position to become a champion again. He's done it in most people's eyes other than the judges and it's not been given to him. So he'll have to hope that maybe somebody beats Israel Adesanya so he can get another shot at them. But to be honest with you, he's probably not going to get a shot for a long time to come and that's sad because I think he should have got the verdict. Where does a champion go from now? There was a good fight on the undercard between Jared Cannonier and Derek Brunson. Brunson had been on a really good run, but Cannonier put a stop to that. He's yet to fight Israel Adesanya, so I feel like that's the next natural bout. There was an explosive co-main event as well, wasn't there? Oh, there was a cracking co-main event, Rob. Two of the biggest punches in heavyweight history. Tai Tuivasa, Bam Bam, and the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. They absolutely slugged it out for about eight minutes. And to be honest with you, it looked like Bam Bam Tuivasa was on the way out for the majority of the fight. But he started swinging and Lewis started swinging back and it just turned into this war of attrition. And Tai Tuivasa caught him with a beautiful elbow, which put Derek Lewis to sleep. And now he's in line for a potential title shot. But that's all the UFC for this week. We're going to be talking ice hockey now, Rob. And Manchester Storm have played two games this week. Talk me through them. Yeah, first game against Nottingham, uh, one for 2 Dallas Earhart, uh, Adam Brady with two, and Jared uh, Van Wormer with the, with the goals for Storm. Uh, Van Wormer certainly uh, lighting up the, the Storm shelter uh, in recent weeks, weeks, scoring some good some good goals there. You know, we, they brought him in uh, from uh, from Canada, I think it was, and uh, they were wondering whether he'd be able to to mix it in the in the sort of the British league, and he certainly is. Uh, in the last few weeks, James, scoring goals left, right and centre. And then uh, they played Sheffield, which is a big derby uh, away, uh, and lost 5-2. Um, Jared Wormer and Dallas Earhart, the, the goal scorers for, for Storm. Um, yeah, I suppose uh, Ryan Finney's men uh, would have took uh, one win, one loss over this uh, this weekend. Uh, but if you're looking to get into that playoff spot, which Manchester Storm are, that really you need to keep winning. You need to make sure you have a, a double win weekend to keep that momentum. It is a bit dif- bit disappointing that they couldn't get a result against Sheffield. But listen, Sheffield are a good side. It's Derby Day. Anything can happen against Sheffield. War with the Roses. And it seems like Sheffield came out on top this week. 
Yeah, the War of the Roses is always a hotly contested derby, Rob. But there's a star coming through the storm rank. Can you tell me in a little bit more detail about what he's got to offer? Yeah. Jamie Downey is a goalkeeper. Uh, he's British. Uh, he's, he's a star for the future. Uh, Ryan Finity mentioned he, he thinks he could be a possible international class. Uh, his save record, he's got a 91% save ratio, James, which means he's a very, very, very good goalkeeper. They've got Matt Jin, who is also a good, good goalkeeper, but he's injured at the moment. So, James has come in and, and started making the good blocks and, and, and saving the shots. And that's the important thing, really, because obviously you need to, to have a good goalkeeper to be a good team. If you've got somebody at the back who's stopping the, the, the goals going in and you've got people up front who are scoring the goals in any sport, whether that's ice hockey or football or anything that has, has that combination, uh, you're a good team and you're a good team going forward and defending. And that can only take you one, one place. And that's the playoff, James. Most certainly. We can't wait for that, Rob, if it comes. But now moving on to the world of football, we're going to kick it off with Manchester United. Two disappointing results this week. We predicted that they'd win both games. They didn't. Mm. Burnley 1-1, Southampton 1-1, took the lead in both games and gave it away. What's your verdict? Yeah, typical. Obviously, Manchester United, a lot of teams know what the problem is with Manchester United. Uh, The lack of work rate, um, the ability not to kill games off is coming back to haunt them. We obviously know that as fans as well, and it's kind of seeping into the players. Uh, Ralph, he must be tearing his hair out, really. He's got some you know, fantastic individuals in that team who can't play in the in in the in the system he's, he's trying to create. And with Manchester United teams who play Manchester United, they will come at you and it's their cup final. So you've got to be on your your game week in, week out. Last two games with like Burnley and Southampton, Manchester United should have won both. If you were going to be a Premier League winner or a top four contender or either a Champions League winner or somebody who's going to be competing at the top at the end of the season. Them two games are six points there. And unfortunately, Man United, we've ended up with two. Yeah, it really is a case of four points dropped, isn't it? But, I mean, I suppose on the bright side, if you want to take one silver lining, Paul Pogba in that Burnley game showed us glimmers of what he can do at his best, scoring a great goal. In, in an interesting turn of events, he says he's only willing to stay at the club should Manchester United pull Rafa and Nick on a full-time basis? For me, that seems unlikely. PSG are currently after Pogba. It looks like he'll go there if this decision isn't made. So are you feeling like Paul Pogba's going to go come the end of the transfer window? Or do you feel there's some chance that they'll be able to reach some conclusion and Rafa and Nick ends up taking over the managerial mantle? Mm, well, I think with, with Paul Pogba, uh, James, he's, he's a very good player when he wants to be. Uh, can Manchester United... Uh, carry somebody who want, who plays every so often. For me, Manchester United are in that situation where we, we can carry a player. And if he wants to go to Paris Saint-Germain or he wants to go back to Italy, then let, then let him go. I want players who are committed to the cause. If he says, well, if you sign Ranrick, I'll stay... There's no there's no guarantee that's going to happen. It's obviously with agents and and you know management and all that. Uh, if Paul Pogba goes where he's told, so uh, unless you're getting sort of uh, conversations with the agents and and the and they're saying you know there is a possibility, but even then, you know, with the amount of money is on, and you know, is he blocking people coming through from the youth? Up? We don't know. He he has been he's been okay for us, um, but. 
when when you look back at what he did with Juventus, uh, and and you dream about you know the, the stuff that he did when he was a youngster at Manchester United, uh, you think it's a bit of it's been a bit of a letdown, um, and unfortunately, if his time is up, his, his time might be up at Old Trafford. Yeah, it's not really his place to tell the club that he'll stay with a certain manager, but it feels like we're waiting constantly for lightning to strike with Paul Pogba. And mm. as the years are passing by, it's just not happening. And I feel like for most players, we won't have this much patience, especially with the attitude they've got in the dressing room. But talking about players with attitude who could potentially be going abroad, Roma and Jose Mourinho are after Granite Xhaka, and they're willing to pay up to £100 million for him. I know that the Arsenal fans have currently aren't seeing eye to eye, uh, with the player, but he's an embodiment of Jose Mourinho on the pitch, and maybe he'd fit in at Roma. Yeah, possibly, but hundred, hundred, hundred million, James. It's a, it's a, it's a massive amount of money in it for him, and you know, with with Arsenal, it's it's difficult situation. They can't be seen to, you know, seeing one of their best players go. So if he does go, it's going to be. Don't forget, they, they haven't signed a centre forward. Is have they in the transfer window? That's that's another problem for him. So I don't see him. I don't see him disappearing off to to Rome. What do you think? I think it's unlikely. But if they gave an offer of a hundred million, would you take it, Rob? <sighs> well, unless I had somebody lined up of of similar ability. Uh, you know who I can who I can bring in as like a marquee player, and then let him sort of disappear out the back quietly after we're having a big fanfare with sort of Mister Hundred Million Pounds centre forward. Then I possibly would, but if I can't find somebody of similar ilk who's going to score goals from there, uh, it'll be a no. Because obviously it's good to have hundred million quid in your back pocket, but it's no good in the championship because uh, hundred million quid might you get you might get you a long way, but it might not get you promoted because in that division it, anyone could be anyone. Talking Jose Mourinho, he's currently in seventh place with Roma, and since he left Real Madrid back in two thousand and thirteen, it's just been disappointment after disappointment. Sat from Chelsea, sat from United, sat from Tottenham could potentially be sacked from Roma. I know they're going to give him a bit of time up until the summer, but that might not last forever. He's losing games in the Europa, uh, the Europa Conference League to ridiculous teams, and it's just not clicking. Why has he fallen so badly down the hill? I think with Jose Mourinho, uh, James, is is obviously he was a special one, and his sort of tactics are to sort of defend and squeeze and nick a goal Football has moved on. It's more attack, attack, attack now and defend if you can. It's okay if you've got a plan set up and you've got players who are willing to run around for you. You can nick goals, but it's. I think football has moved on. His tactics have, have, have not, and that is why he finds himself where he is. Yeah, he is still a great philosopher. Yeah, he, he does say some controversial stuff from time to time, uh, but is he still one of the sort of the great, was he still one of the best football managers in the world at the moment, I'd probably say no, because he's, he's tactically, he's refused to move on. Uh, and that is why football's moved on, left him where he is. It's a shame, really. Do you think he'll ever be able to recapture his glory days and adapt to the new game? Or do you think it's just done for him? It's a bit It's a bit like when sort of Brian Clough uh, came in uh, to Nottingham Forest and he, he brought in Peter Taylor with him. 
And um, he, you know, he, he, you know, he, he won, went and won two European Cups, won the league. This is in the like the seventies, James. You were even a, a twinkle in your dad's <laughs> eye. Then. But he, uh, you know, they were they were they were kings of Europe for two seasons, and and then obviously Peter Taylor sort of left because obviously he he got offers from other clubs and, and became a you know quite a successful manager himself, really. But, um, and at that point, Cruff kind of lost his way, and, and he you know stayed with Forest, but he never really found that kind of like magic again until he obviously retired. At Forest when they went down in the in sort of the mid nineties, um, but it's that kind of thing where Jose maybe needs somebody to come in and and and, and sort of do his coaching for him, and he can just be the figurehead behind it uh, and just do the tactics uh, and just and just be the media mouth behind it all, really. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But that that's where I that's the way I see Jose Mourinho because I think Jose and Brian Clough there's a lot of lot of similarities between the way you know between them the way they the way they talk to the press, the way they talk to the players, the way they sort of wind everyone up so I always thought that uh, Jose Mourinho was a modern day Brian Clough uh, so for me he needs a a, a, a tailor to come in and, and help him out Yeah it's certainly interesting where he's going to go because you want to believe that a manager as good as Jose Mourinho can do something to get back to his best but we'll have to wait and see but another interesting transfer that's come out of the market Rob, Jordan Sakiri made the move to Lyon earlier this season but after just six months the French team have offloaded him to Chicago Fire right. it seems like he's had a massive spiral down the hill I mean of course many a player wants to travel to the MLS it's a nice lifestyle but Chicago Fire I mean were third from bottom last season and to make matters worse and this is from Liverpool's perspective they're expecting to get some bonuses if he met certain clauses at Leon. but due to the fact that they have offloaded him and managed to make a profit Liverpool won't be getting any of those bonuses because I think he only scored two goals for the French side I think with obviously with, with footballers sometimes it doesn't click, does it? And and they get into that spiral, don't they? Like it sounds like that's what's happening now. And um, you know, you're kind of hoping he can find a way back. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, players. I think t- 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 is it Tabat Talat Tabat from uh, Queens Park Rangers. He was one that you know was in the Premier League and and then kind of you know drifted off. He's playing, I think, in is it Germany now or no? He's playing in t- uh, Turkey, Galatasaray or something like that uh, in the Champions League. So he's kind of finding. His way back, Bell, but he did go on a bit of a uh, roller coaster ride to get there. Went down and back up again. Yeah, it's very bizarre the uh, the journey some of these players take, and somebody who's on a bad journey this week for all the wrong reasons. And this isn't from a transfer perspective. It's Kurt Zuma. I don't know how much we're going to be able to say about this due to the ongoing circumstances. Yeah. But what we will say is a peculiar decision from David Moyes to play him. What was your stance on that? Yeah, it's a, it was a peculiar decision by uh, David Moyes. Um, obviously, he's done a wrong thing. Really, uh, you can see why West Ham did what they did because obviously they're chasing a Champions League team, Champions League spot, aren't they? And they need their strongest 11 out at all times. And unfortunately, Zuma did what he did and uh, I think it was a bad decision by West Ham to play him. Um, but hopefully we can all move on from it. Um, he'll have been taught a lesson. I think they t- took his cat away. I think the RSPCA, which is which is a a relief for the cat and and the people who were who were upset about it. And hopefully everyone can move on and can get back to talking about football. Yeah, I think that's probably for the best. But some good news coming out of West Ham during their game with Kidderminster the other week. Declan Rice actually showered with the Kidderminster players and. The non-league side provided a fantastic atmosphere for the game. Even Micah Richards was singing along with the fans as the the chants bounced off the walls at their stadium. 
ultimately they weren't able to get the job done, conceding two goals in the 90th minute and then a further goal in the 120th minute, the last minute of added time. So destructive for them, absolutely devastating, robbed their chance of magic. But Sharon with a Premier League great is probably, I mean, obviously doesn't make up for it, but it'll dampen the wound slightly. Yeah, I suppose you've just been knocked out of the cup with a last-minute equaliser and then a last-minute winner. And then and then you're like going back, back to the dressing room all despondent. And then uh, Rice turns up and has a shower in your dressing room. I don't know. How, I don't know how that kind of makes you feel. Um, I'd have. I'd have been disappointed. But I suppose. I suppose with these Premier League players, James, you've got you look at them and you, and you kind of like you know watch them on a telly and you study everything they do. So at least they know what happens behind the scenes now when he takes a shower and what he what shampoo he uses, which might give him the edge uh, coming into the next uh, game they play. Um, let's talk about Salford City. Um, now, Leighton Orient, uh, they travelled to Leighton Orient and won 2 0 on Saturday. Great result for the Amis. Uh, that, before that, they drew 0 0 with Sutton. Uh, so, three points out of six um, is good uh, for the Amis. Yeah, very, very happy with the results. I thought Salford put in two good performances. The game against Sutton, we knew that was going to be tough with Sutton placed in fifth at the moment. So, to get a draw away from home, I think, is a point well earned. And then we performed beautifully to beat Leighton Orient 2-0. We've got this game coming up against Crawley. That's going to be a tough one. Only four points separating us. We're in 10th, they're in 12th, so it's vital that we get a win there. Yeah, talking about that uh, Crawley game, it's footy for a five, a promotion by uh, Salford City FC. £5 for adults, £2 for under-16s, hoping for a big crowd down there. Um at the Peninsula Stadium, um, so hopefully they'll they'll get a they'll get a decent crowd. It, it, they kind of need a, a boost, really. The the tenth in the league, uh, four points off the playoffs. So if uh, the people of Salford can get behind them and, and support them, uh, and hopefully they can get another result, a couple more wins as well, and then they'll be pushing for that playoff spot. Absolutely, they're never out of it. It's never over till the fat lady sings, as they say in the trade. So if you're in the Salford area and you want to support your team, get down because this is a fantastic offer. But moving on to Manchester City, looking as destructive as ever. A 2-0 win over Brentford, a 4-0 win over Norwich, and they're unstoppable pretty much this season. Yeah, it's exactly what I said about Manchester United. Norwich and uh, Brentford are two teams similar to Manchester United, Southampton uh, and Burnley, teams that you go to and take maximum points. And, and for Manchester United, Manchester United not to do it and Manchester City to do it shows the gulf between the two uh, teams. And I really kind of hope, obviously, you know, people can can look at that and realise where Manchester United are and where Man City are. Man City are, you know, playing fantastically uh, well. It's their sort of moment in the sun. Um, Obviously, they haven't got the European Cup yet, but they've got players who, who are good enough to, to, to win that. And, you know, they're, they're dominating the Premier League at the moment. And there's only one way you can see it. I hope if Liverpool can catch them, that'll be, that might be one thing. But at the moment, best manager in the comp, best players in the comp, end up being the best team in the comp. Yeah, most certainly a fantastic team. And somebody I want to talk about now quickly, Rob, we've got a bit of time left. Yeah, yeah. It's Cesc Fabregas. Because it's rumoured that he'll be making a triumphant return back to Barcelona. He's not had the greatest of seasons at Monaco, but of him and Xavi, old teammates, great relationship. Do you think there's anything left for Seth Rabregas at the top level of football? As a player? As a player. What is he, about 40? He's 34, Seth wow. Rabregas, at the moment. Is he? Mm. he Younger than you think. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, maybe. He, he, he would do a job. Experienced. Um, you know, 
yeah, it must have an affection with 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 the the Barcelona team, and uh, he might be able to do a bit. Do a bit. Obviously, being Barcelona, teams will will want to press him and, and make him run about. And how long that will, you know, t- how long, how much will that take from the the thirty four year old legs is is anyone's guess. But I suppose he might be looking at, at helping Barcelona. Then a lot of uh, financial problems aren't there, Barcelona at the moment. Um, so he might be thinking, I'll come down and and give him a lift at the moment and get him out of this mess that they're in. What do you think? I think that's his exact line of thinking, Rob. I mean, according to the transfer market, he's worth about 3.15 million, which is a bit of a steal for a player of his quality. And similar to the likes of Jordi Alba and Sergio Busquets and Gerard Piquet, he'd likely be willing to take a pay cut due to his affiliation with the club. So I think that's what would be likely to happen with a, a player like Cesc Fabregas. But he is getting older. And how long can Barcelona keep going with the, these tactics of bringing in these older players and trying to work around the fact that they've got these financial issues? Well, it's difficult, really, because you, you need a mix, don't you? You need a mix of, of young players coming through. We can't fault uh, the Barcelona you know, youth system. They, they produce some fine players, don't they? And if you bring in the right kind of heads, older heads who have who have the right attitude, then you've got a nice blend. But is 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 that a long term plan? No, not really, because you end up being a club like Ajax who kind of bring your youngsters through, sell them, bring your youngsters through, sell them, and yeah, you, you might end up being uh, you know, the top of your Dutch division. But I think the Spanish division's a bit you know, higher in quality. So how long that process lasts is anyone's guess. Yes, it's going to be a weird one to see how it all works out. But Manchester City got a couple of big games coming up this week. Tottenham and Sporting Lisbon. And the Sporting Lisbon one comes in the wake of a massive event which took place in Portugal over the weekend. Porto and Lisbon, it's always a massive derby, isn't it? It's thunderous in Portugal. It's one of the biggest of the season. And the game descended into absolute chaos, Rob. In the 90th minute, Pepe hit the deck and there was violence everywhere. Players fighting, members of staff fighting. Even the ball boys were getting involved and punching the players. Four red cards and it's a bit of a shocking moment uh, for the whole fans to see. Yeah, we obviously 40 seconds to go, James. It's it's a kind of moment that you know, will haunt the uh, the Portuguese Football Association with the players and the fans all, all kind of taking their two pennies worth out of that. And it, it's kind of a, a problem, really, when you, when you look at it, because obviously with, with football, it's it's not about that. It's about, you know, playing together, producing, producing fantastic football uh, and in, and sort of producing a great product for everyone to enjoy. And, and, and I'm, I'm a bit disappointed, really, with, with what happened there. But you're hoping, uh, you know, they can put on a good performance against City and City will win, hopefully. And uh, we'll be talking all about it on the Sports Zone next week. So I'll see you next week. And we'll be talking Sporting Salford with you on Salford City Radio.